Please welcome to our morning show, I believe for the first time this year, Michael Osterholm, who is an epidemiologist, an esteemed epidemiologist, Regents Professor and Director of the Center for Infectious Disease Research and Policy at the University of Minnesota, who also served as President-elect Joe Biden's health advisor. Good morning. Good morning to you, Freddie. Good to be with you. Glad you're with us. As the nation marks his two-year battle with COVID-19, speaking of President Biden, how much uh, blame or how much, uh, uh, I don't even know how to characterize it, is he doing enough to help us to stem this battle with coronavirus? Well, first of all, I think we have to just put it into perspective what's happening globally. Uh, This virus has been throwing 210-mile-an-hour curveballs at us for the last two years. And uh, trying to respond to that is, is a challenge that, unlike anything we've had in public health, really dating back almost 100 years to the, to the 1918 influenza pandemic. So in that sense, every country in the world has struggled with how to respond to this. I think the issue of the United States, though, is, is that what has been really a painful irony is we have, as a nation, done so much to bring forward these very powerful vaccines. Uh, you know, the, the magical tool that can keep you from becoming seriously ill, being hospitalized, and dying. And yet, as a country, we still have a third of our population that has not uh, been willing to take the vaccines. So that by itself has had a huge impact. And in countries that are more highly vaccinated, the number of deaths have been greatly reduced, the number of hospitalizations. So part of it is, when you look at the administration, sure, there are things we can all do better and they could do better. But at the core of what the challenge is, is if we can't get people vaccinated, uh, you know, that's what is really holding us back right now from reducing the impact of this pandemic. I'm sure you know Dr. George Diaz. He says he's optimistic, too, about the vaccines. But do you think that the vaccines have to evolve even more to stay ahead of these ancestral variants that are coming from the original uh, virus that caused COVID-19? Yeah, you know, Freddie, that's a huge, huge, huge issue. And one that our center actually is in the uh, stages right now of addressing. Um, Over the past uh, three years, the Center for Infectious Disease Research and Policy at the university, the center I direct, Mm -hmm. actually led a global effort to come up with what we call a roadmap for influenza vaccines. How are we going to get new and better universal flu vaccines, ones that might work across a lot of strains, one that instead of having to get vaccinated once a year, you may be able to get vaccinated once every many years. And that whole effort has now led to a final what we call roadmap. It's on our website. It's now used by organizations from the WHO to all the foundations. Well, we are now taking on the coronavirus vaccines in the same manner. And so your point's right on target. While these vaccines we have now are very, very uh, remarkable tools, they're not perfect. You know, they, we would like to have a vaccine that could cover all variants that might emerge uh, even before they happen to have protection. We'd like one that obviously can even provide more protection than just reducing illness, serious illness and hospitalizations. So we're embarking right now on a global effort, again, with the same parties, the major foundations, the World Health Organization, our government and others, to develop a framework to say this is what we want to have and need to have for vaccines. How do we get them? So it doesn't discount or diminish the importance of our current vaccines. But just as you said, you know, how can we have coronavirus vaccine 2.0 and 3.0? So stay tuned. We're going to be right at the center of that work. I try to, to try to bring us even new and better vaccines. I don't know. I think we've been talking for about a year and you told us at one point that this would be a virus of the unvaccinated. 
have we reached the apex of the people who will get the vaccine? You know, I think that that is largely true. I mean, it's it's a situation where I don't hold out hope that just suddenly one day someone will get vaccinated. But there's so much more we can do. For example, right now, only about a third of the population who have been vaccinated, fully vaccinated to date, have gotten this recommended booster, that third additional dose, Mm -hmm. which can provide so much more protection. And so these are not vaccine hostile, they're not vaccine hesitant people, they just haven't gotten their booster. And yet we know that that can be so helpful in keeping you out of the hospital. And so I think there's a lot more work we can do there, because in many instances, these are people aren't against the vaccine, they just didn't understand or appreciate why they needed that booster. And so I think that, that we can do work there. But for those who are just absolutely uh, hesitant to hostile about the vaccines, that's a much, much bigger challenge. And, you know, Freddie, this isn't even just an issue in the United States. We're seeing it worldwide. Even in the low- and middle-income countries, there's that group of people today because of the misinformation, disinformation out there uh, have come to the conclusion that there's something wrong with these vaccines, that they're dangerous. And, you know, I find it somewhat ironic that, uh, you know, I have uh, several situations right now where families have come to me to say, can I help get them this new drug that can be very effective? Uh, or can I help them get the monoclonal antibody treatment for a family member who refused to be vaccinated, but they don't have any problem taking the new drugs or the monoclonal antibodies, which seems as if somehow in an inconsistent position. If they were worried about the vaccine, why are they willing to take these drugs and so forth? And so I think we just have a lot of education to do yet. Uh, But in the meantime, uh, you know what's happening in our hospitals around the country. I mean, they are in dire straits. And not only are we seeing a major increase in patients hospitalized, but we're seeing 10 to 20 percent of healthcare workers who've been previously vaccinated, who surely, uh, you know, have protection from serious illness hospitalizations themselves. But they are now infected and have to take five to 10 days off before they can come back to work. That has created a tremendous challenge in our hospitals right now, something of likes that none of us have ever seen before. Dr. Michael Olsterholm with this Final question, when, and people are always asking this, when will this wave, this, this blizzard, this tsunami yeah. start to subside? Yeah. Yep. You know, it's, it's already starting uh, to a bit here. Remember, from the time that someone gets infected till the time they become ill, to the time they might need hospitalization, to the time, unfortunately, they may even die, actually can be three to four weeks. So that if you start to see a reduced transmission situation right now, don't expect to see the final results of that for another month in terms of the number of cases dropping who are hospitalized or who are seriously ill. So I think you're going to see that, though. Uh, we have evidence here in the Twin Cities, at least, uh, with what we call wastewater surveillance. We can actually test the wastewater and we can pick up the virus in there and how much activity is in the community. That is coming down in the Twin Cities area, so I expect to see those cases start to drop. In greater Minnesota, it's just going up. And in fact, we've had clinics report as recently as yesterday, 75% test positivity for everybody they're testing right now. So um, this is kind of, you might say, different waves even within the state of Minnesota. But I think within the next six weeks, a lot of this activity will, will be reduced. Now, the challenge with that is I'm afraid we're going to all then say, ha-ha, we're done. Okay, we're over. Much like we did a year ago right now. You may recall a year ago we had that big January peak. 
peak vaccines were flowing and people said, ah, we're all done. And of course, then we saw what happened this summer with Delta and now with Omicron. So, you know, we have to keep, be mindful that even as this surge ends, it drops off dramatically. Uh, you know, we're still going to have uh, potential variants for the future. We have to be prepared for. So by then, perhaps the vaccines will have caught up with the, with the uh, virus? Yeah, and that won't, they won't be something that will change uh, a lot within the next uh, year or two. I mean, it's going to take some research. One thing we can do, Freddie, which could be really important. I mean, you and I recall back in the 80s when you got a diagnosis of HIV, that was a death sentence, literally. Right. Today, it's a manageable chronic disease for many people because of the drugs. Not a vaccine. They don't, we don't have a vaccine for HIV. And so what we need to do is really develop a, a system for rapid testing so people who are symptomatic don't have to wait days and days or are unable to find a place to get tested. We need to greatly expand testing. Get tested. Know within hours are you infected. If you are, then immediately get these drugs to you. And so that's going to take a lot of work on testing, on drug manufacturing, distribution. But, I mean, that could be a game changer like we saw with HIV. If we get people on these drugs quickly after they become infected, then we can do a lot to reduce hospitalizations, serious illness, and deaths. And right now that is going to be such a key uh, benefit of these drugs that, uh, you know, we just have to move forward on. Doctor, I have to mention that it's ironic to me that people who are hesitant or don't want to take the vaccine will get tested, but they still won't get vaccinated. I know. It's, it's a, yeah, it's a tough one. So anyway, and you know, Freddie, thank you so much for getting this kind of information out. You're such an important voice in our community here. And it really, I really appreciate the opportunity to work with you on this. Uh, I know you're a very trusted voice by many, many of your audience members. So thank you for what you do. And thank you for your work. And that's Dr. Michael Olsterholm. Thanks for being with us, sir. Take care, sir. Talk to you later. Okay. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Dr. Michael Osterholm with us this morning, epidemiologist. He advised President Biden about the best tack to take in fighting this virus.